Good morning. My name is Shelley McCarran, and I get to read our scripture today. It's Revelation 22, verses 12 through 21. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Well, there's a, a couple things that I'm struggling with this morning. Uh, one is I, I rarely have to practice coughing. And, and yet, uh, with this lingering cold that I have and not wanting to blast out your eardrums if I start coughing up here, I've had to try to minimize the amount of cough that ends up going through this microphone that's attached right by my mouth. And so please give me grace and patience as we are in this season of colds. I am lathering up in, uh, in hand sanitizer so that way I could still come near you guys and shake hands as we are celebrating the end of this year together. But the other part that, that's a struggle for me is I, I am a firm believer that once Christmas is over, the decorations go away. Like that is, is something that I do not waver on. And so we look around and we see the decor is all still up. And there's a, a, a couple of options as to why that might be the case. One is historically in the church calendar, Christians have considered this entire season to be one of Christmas. Christmas tide, it's called. It's, it's 12 days that go from Christmas day into the new years. And so we're situated in, the, in this period. And the thought is that as we're wrapping up our time in the book of Revelation that's been so focused on looking at how Jesus is coming back and yet looking at that through the lens of his first arrival through Christmas. It makes sense as we are seeing this time of Jesus come back to once again surround ourselves with the reminder that he has come already, that he has come before, that Christmas is a time that we rejoice in because Jesus has come. And so we keep this stuff up because it's the reminder of what it is that we're focusing on as we wrap up the book of Revelation. The other option as to why we kept this stuff up is the office was closed all this week and the staff was on break, and so we just didn't have time to, to take it all down. Uh, which one is the right answer? I'll, I'll leave you to, to make a decision on that one. But we are wrapping up our time in the book of Revelation together. And, and so it'd be amiss to not look back on some of the key things that we've taken away that we hope is, is, is 
a reminder that we have, not just as we are in this book, but that we can carry, that we are shaped by what we've learned together in this series in this book. And one of the ways that we can summarize what we've looked at is by the number seven. We, we've talked about how numbers are significant, especially in Revelation. They have meaning, and seven is this number of completeness, of, of wholeness, of perfection. And it's shown up all throughout this book. Revelation chapter one, we have this picture of Jesus. The thing that helps us to carry through this entire book of Revelation is the reminder of who Jesus is as we see him clearly, as he is described to us with seven different descriptions. Then we get chapters two and three, which are these seven letters to seven churches who are struggling. It's the call to endure, to to persevere, to conquer, even as they're facing persecutions and rival comforts. Then we get in chapters uh, four and five, this, we see God in his majesty and glory, Father, Son, and Spirit, who receives sevenfold praise. And then we get this, this series, uh, this uh, whole entire section, the middle of the book, which is focused on God uh, bringing about judgment, to, to bring people back to himself, away from their rebellion, to make all things right in this world. And he brings this judgment through first uh, seven seals, and then seven trumpets. And then we get a little interlude there as we receive seven different visions before we get to the seven bowls, all against this seven-headed beast. And then we wrap up with this picture of Jesus' victory as we see seven visions of what God has and will accomplish. All throughout that number seven, showing up over and over again to tell us the story of what God is doing and will do. We've also said that in this book that's so focused on the work that God will accomplish, that shows us the picture of what God is working towards, this, this book that, that helps us see what God has done and will do next, this book that's so focused on giving us a sure and certain future, it has tremendous impact on how we live now. That yes, it gives us a hope and an expectation and it shows us what it is that we will do, but it shapes how we live our lives now. And that is because our identity is rooted. That the joy that's shown in the new heavens and the new earth, that while we're not there yet, we experience that joy now. That what God will accomplish shapes how we live our lives now. And as we read Revelation 22 together, we can see how it is that we respond to this chapter with our lives because what Jesus accomplishes. And in Revelation 22, we see Jesus returns to satisfy, to bless, to judge, and to complete. Jesus returns to satisfy, bless, judge, and complete. But we'll look at that first one. Jesus returns to satisfy. This has been much of our focus on the new heavens and the new earth over our last few weeks. It's the reminder of what it is that Jesus accomplishes as he makes all things right, as he removes all that that taints and harms, all tears wiped away, all death removed, all sorrow, pain, hardship, loneliness, completely removed by Jesus returning. But but it's not just the removal of things that are bad, it's, it's the replacing with all that is good finding complete satisfaction in Jesus. The first five verses paint this glorious picture, the tree of life that was back in the Garden of Eden, now freely accessible to all. It's this picture of abundance that cannot be harmed by famine or drought, just perfect satisfaction 
that's found in Jesus. I, I like uh, a couple different descriptions. One is that the leaves of this plant are for the healings of the nation, perfect healing to be found as Jesus returns. And then it also says that there is nothing accursed there. That idea of things being accursed goes back to Genesis chapter three. As sin enters into this world, it's, it's the, the telling us that everything in the world is considered accursed. It's, it's tainted by sin. It's, it's a, a shell of what God intended it to be. Everything is fractured by sin entering into all this world. It is hard for us to think of what does it look like to be in a place where nothing is accursed because we've spent every single second of our days surrounded by things that are accursed. All that's within us is called accursed as well. It's hard for us to picture what does this look like? What is this place of perfect satisfaction? Even as we read the Bible to try to understand what this is, there are only four chapters that describe what life looks like without anything called accursed. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Revelation 21, and Revelation 22. That's all that we have. As we try to understand what does this look like? What is this, this perfect picture? There's, there's so little for us to draw on. It's so different than us. Uh, the thought of the, a place of no aches or heartbreaks or no more longing anymore because it's been satisfied in Jesus. And yet as Jesus returns, even though we have four chapters alone to understand what does this look like, Jesus returns to bring a perfect eternity of satisfaction we won't be lamenting that there's only four chapters as we have in eternity to rejoice in this perfect satisfaction that's found in him. Second, Jesus returns to bless. This idea of, of living a life that's blessed, the blessing that God gives to his people is found all throughout the book of Revelation. In fact, it's mentioned seven times throughout the book of Revelation, what it looks like to be blessed, not just in the future, but how we live blessed lives now. We, we have a few slides to get through on this one uh, as, as I'm gonna read the different blessings that we have. Revelation 1, 3 says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it for the time is near. 14, 13, uh, uh, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors uh, for their deeds follow them. 16, 15, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, who is alert, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed, who's prepared and ready for Jesus coming back. 19.9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb, who are saved solely because of the work that Jesus has done. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And 20, verse six, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. 22.7 from our chapter, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. And the last one, also from this chapter. Blessed are those who wash their robes, who are living rightly, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Seven times we're told what it looks like to be blessed by God. And it's not so much a focus on, yes, I can't wait for that day to happen. So much of it is focused on the blessing that you receive now. 
because this is a future, because Jesus is returning uh, to do all that he's doing in Revelation 22, we live lives that are blessed now. It's a life that's blessed because of what God has revealed to us. It's a life that's blessed because it's secure in Jesus. It's a life that's blessed because we're expectant of Jesus. It's a life that's uh, blessed because it's based on Jesus. We are joined with Jesus. It's a life that's blessed because Jesus is coming back. Third, Jesus returns to judge. I've loved this series in the book of Revelation, but I'm really excited about going into our new series next week because man, it was a slog to get through all those chapters on judgment. And so we might uh, want to overlook the, the focus on judgment that, that's brought in this chapter. This chapter's so lovely and beautiful. Let's, let's, we did enough on the judgment, so let's go past that. But it's the reminder that there is no satisfaction There is no blessing. There is no restoring of all that's broken in this world unless there is judgment. That it's by Jesus coming to judge, that is why we have those things that we so look forward to, those things that we experience now. And it's, it's almost why this chapter continues to repeat it. It's a weird structure. You, you read through it, it almost goes to, here's a good thing, here's a reminder of judgment. Here's a good thing, here's a reminder of judgment. Here's a good thing, here's a reminder of judgment. All throughout this chapter, it continues to do that. The one place where that is clear is in uh, verse 16. It says, uh, is it verse 16? Thank you. Verse 12. I appreciate you, Brenda. Uh, it, uh, verse 12 says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Jesus is coming as a judge. Jesus is coming to repay each person for what he has done. And so the question that the book of Revelation, the series of questions that this book should probe, that, that should cause us to answer is, do you know Jesus? Is he your hope, the satisfaction that you're longing for, the reason why blessing is possible? Are you spending your life now looking to respond to his faithfulness with faithfulness in return? Because this is the last chapter of the Bible. If we're holding out for something else, there's nothing else after this, nor do we need anything else. Jesus has done it all. And he is coming back to repay each person for what they've done, either for turning away from him to something else or for clinging solely to Jesus for saving. Jesus returns to judge. And then finally, Jesus returns to complete. That is to complete the plans of God. That we are shown in the book of Revelation what it is that God is up to, what it is that he is working for, what it is indeed that he is doing now. And this is so helpful in those times where we are questioning, does God care? Is God there? Is he actually doing anything? In those moments that we doubt if God is working, we are included into the work that God is doing, what his plans are so that we can hope, so that we can hold on, so that we can live now, endure it all because we see what God will do. This is what it says in, now I think I'm in verse 16. Uh, This is Revelation 22, 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Whom is this book meant for? Why are we given this entire revelation? What is the purpose of it? It is written by Jesus 
for the churches, for God's people. This book is given as a gift for those times that we question, those times that we struggle, those, those moments that we wonder, what is God doing? How do we hold on? How do we endure? How do we conquer? We are shown Jesus. We see him this fulfillment of the Old Testament, this fulfillment of the entire Bible. Here is Jesus, this picture in Revelation 22 of him returned, the fulfillment of all longings, the bringing of all satisfaction and blessing, perfect judgment being brought in to restore all that's broken. Here is Jesus as all that God is doing is announced as done. How do we hold on? Here's the encouragement. How do we live now? Here's the encouragement. Revelation 22 shows us what God is working towards so that we can trust as we wait now in what God is doing. Talked about how this uh, period of time that we're in right now is considered part of Christmas tide, and and the thought that it might be helpful is as we've been looking at this book, uh, it, th- we've seen so much Advent hope in the book of Revelation. That as we wait for Jesus to return, it reminds us of the people who are waiting for Jesus to come the first time, the people who are waiting for Christmas. And so I thought it might be helpful to turn to a Christmas story to see how might we learn how to wait. What is it that we are to do in this time that we are waiting for Jesus to come back? And so I thought of one of my favorite Christmas stories, and it's, it's a really short story, but it's a really powerful and beautiful story of the waiting done by a prophetess named Anna in Luke chapter 2. And we read of this woman, Anna, who's, who's been waiting and, and uh, what she's been doing to wait for Jesus to return in those times where it's hard to hold on. As, as we are people who read the truth of Revelation 22 and we say it's beautiful and we are looking forward to that, but we still have those moments of doubt, of questions, of wondering, what is God actually doing? I think the example of a woman like Anna helps us to understand how do we wait now. This is Luke chapter two, starting in verse 36. It says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanael of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, And coming up at that very hour, this is the time that Jesus is presented at the temple as a baby. At that very hour, she began to give give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So think about it like this. So Luke chapter two takes place 400 years. 400 years since the last time uh, Israel, God's people heard from God. It's 400 years since there was a prophet, since they heard anything about what God is doing, uh, what it is uh, that he's going to accomplish. 400 years since the last time they heard there is going to come one who's going to make all things right. Don't you think in 400 years you start to wonder, is he still going to do that? Is this just a pipe dream? Is God actually going to work? Let alone what Anna herself has experienced in her life. It says, uh, or uh, this, this is a time in a society where a woman's uh, place and her, her security and comfort and, and uh, her, her um, livelihood came from being married. And she was married for seven years. And she hasn't been married for about the last 60. 60 plus years without security 
or comfort or livelihood because she's been without a husband during this time. And isn't that a time to ask questions? And how do we keep holding on? Why do we keep putting faith into a God where when we're going through all this, don't we ask the questions of the things should have gone differently in my life? Why didn't have that? Making demands of God in those times. How easy is it to give up hope or to assume that God isn't worth it because we didn't receive the good things that we feel that we deserve? And yet that's not what Anna does. She lives faithfully. She's worshiping God. She's responding to him rightly. In those times where we could ask those questions, Anna instead is waiting on the Lord, eagerly anticipating him to do what he says he will do. And that is why I think she works as an example for us. We who are waiting, waiting for God to do what he says he will do. How do we hold on? How do we keep our hope? I think Anna gives us a couple examples. First, uh, Anna is an example. uh, We can follow Anna's example of waiting in this time by worshiping. Anna is an example to us in her worship. It says that she is at the temple day and night, fasting and praying to God. Now, I'm not seeing this as an expectation that you need to be here day and night fasting and worshiping to God. If nothing else, we lock the doors at a certain point and there's a security team that comes by and they uh, kick people out of the building who's not supposed to be here. So it would go poorly for you. Uh, I'm more talking about the fact that Anna is living a life of worship. Her identity, she is defined by her praise of God. And all that she's doing, she is worshiping him. In the book of Revelation, the most common sin that's referred to throughout is that of idolatry, of worshiping something other than God, of turning away from him to something else for life and value and purpose and identity. On the flip side of that, the most common thing that we see the people of God do is worship God. That as they see who he is, as they see what it is that he's done, what it is that he's doing, the only possible response to that is by worshiping him. And so when I say that we spend our time waiting on God until he returns and worship, I don't just mean when we gather here together on Sunday, as much as that's a delight. This, I experienced it this morning. This morning is a sluggish one where it's hard for me to get the energy to come back up here again. And yet hearing your voices is the thing that helps me enjoy this time, to see value in this time, to remind me of what it is that we're doing in this time. It is a delight to get to worship with all of you. But we wait by having whole lives of praise of carving out time to remind ourselves of who God is, of what he has done, to respond to God's nature, to praise him for the work that he is doing. Without that intentional carving out of time, without this living lives of praise, we will miss what it is that we're waiting for. We're gonna forget all that we've learned about in our time of revelation together. But more than that, we're gonna lose the tools that God has given to us of how we wait in this time. We praise God, not as something that we wait to do until we're in the new heavens, the new earth. We do that now as a way to ensure, to get us, to help us hold on until we get to the new heavens and the new earth. My prayer for us as we go into this new year is that we become more and more defined, known by living lives of praise for our God as until the day that we await his return.
Second thing that I think Anna gives us as an example of how we wait in this time is Anna uh, had a life of living worthily. She lived in the way that God called her to do. I mean, how easy for her would it have been to beg, steal, and borrow? I mean, she lost her security and comfort and livelihood. I mean, she's got to live, right? And God put her in this situation, so she's just got to do what she can, right? That there's no other way for her to, to, do, uh, to, to survive. And so that makes sense, right? It'd be so easy for her to try to justify that, but instead she lives faithfully. She lives in the way that God has called her to do. And because of that, she becomes part of the Christmas story. Because of that, she is our example of how do we too live in a way that's worthy now? And I think we see that as well in uh, Revelation 22. This is verse 11. It says, let the evil doer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. All right, I, I know it's a little bit of a weird verse. Like why are the, the evil doers and, and the filthy called to keep doing that thing? Why are they encouraged to keep doing that? That, that doesn't sound right. This is speaking to the bent that's in every single person's heart the patterns of behavior that we see in our lives, the temptation to, to, uh, to turn away from God to other things like doing evil, like living filthy as, as this example that's given. All throughout Revelation is this call to endure, to conquer, to turn away from that bent that's in all of us that tries to live apart from God, that tries to be the God of our own life. And we see the end result of those who do that, who keep doing evil keep doing what's filthy. But on the other side of that, we see the glorious future for those who live worthily, who do right, who do holy, for those who respond to the saving work of Jesus. Revelation shapes how we live now. As we see what God is doing, that encourages us to live faithfully for God. As we see God be faithful, we live faithfully in return as well. We live in the way he's called us to, not to earn anything from him, but because we see what God has done, because we see what he's doing, because we see that he is the only one who's worthy, we live worthily in response. And then finally, Anna is our example of how we uh, live in this time by waiting. Waiting is a mindset that as she's focused on something that is to come, she, she's not blinded or overwhelmed by the things that are around her, things that are more immediate, whether those are problems, needs, or, or solutions, or whatever it is that, that, that might be around her. Now, she's not ignoring concerns or problems or needs, but it, they pale in comparison to this one who is coming, to this one who will redeem and we as well. We will see lots of things in this life that promise hope or pain, beauty or ugliness, value or lack, satisfaction or longing. And yet all that we see in this life pales in comparison to that one who's coming back. And it doesn't mean that we ignore what's going on around us as if we're so focused on the destination that we ignore the journey, but we don't become overwhelmed. We don't lose what it is that is our hope. We don't become satisfied with the things that we find in this earth as, you know, this is good enough along the way. We aren't overwhelmed by any barriers that we come across because we see how glorious things are now and how glorious things are to come. See, our lives are lived by the praise and plead 
uh, pleading that's found all throughout this chapter, summarized in just one word, come. The, pray of, uh, the prayer of our life is come, Jesus. The praise that we shout out is Jesus, come. That our longing is centered on the fulfillment that's found in the new heavens and the new earth. Our experience of being blessed now and forevermore is because of what God has done and what it is that he will do. And that truth that Jesus is coming back, that shapes our lives now. How we live, how we experience problems and pains now, how, how we uh, view the roles that are given to us, even, even the tasks that we've been entrusted with, all of that is shaped by the fact that Jesus is coming back. I really like the way one of the commentators I read put it. He says, he says let us take the task that God has given us now as those who know that one day we will ride with Jesus. One day we will stand in the heavenly court, so live nobly now. Change diapers with the same significance you would feel as if you were preparing that child to be presented before the world's true king. In a sense, that's exactly what you're doing. This is that mindset of waiting of us seeing what it is that God is doing. That is our focal point, despite all that's going on around us. Think about then how that changes what it is that we do, how we experience the things on this earth. We don't ignore them, they're not there. But man, how much easier are conflicts when we have our eyes focused on eternity? How much easier are our uh, conversations that we have with people when we are focused on what it is that's lasting? How much easier is it to, to go through the mundane things that we experience, like changing diapers, like shake, taking out the trash? You are taking out the trash with your eyes focused on the new heavens and the new earth. With this mindset of waiting, that it's not this place, but something more, something greater that we are looking toward, that not just shapes what it is that we do with this life, but indeed how we do what's been given to us here. Knowing all the while that Jesus is coming back. Because that's the hope that's given to us in this passage. It's stated to us in verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book for the time is near. This is a marked contrast to anything else that we've seen in the Bible. In fact, it's the opposite that's been said earlier. In the book of Daniel, it ends by saying, seal up the scroll. For it's not the time yet. But for Daniel, he says, don't seal it up. The time is near. That's the focus of this chapter. Over and over again, it's reminding us Jesus is coming soon. In fact, it's our last number seven. Seven times, Jesus is coming soon. Is that the cry of our hearts? Is that the deepest thing that we are longing for? Is that what we are focused on in this life? What are we on? Oh, we've heard it before. Or, or maybe we're looking forward to it because uh, we're excited about all those personal benefits that we get. We are looking forward to the end of wars, going to the funeral of funerals, of no longer holding someone's hand while they're on a hospital bed ever again. Are we just looking forward to those personal benefits, which are good, we should look forward to it. It's incredible that God is that gracious to us. But the focus of this chapter, the culmination of the Bible, what our eyes are fixed on, 
what shapes our lives now is Jesus is coming soon. We will be with him and he will be with us. That is the good news of this book. This book that ought to build in us an eagerness for Jesus to return. It ought to build in us a dissatisfaction with the things that we find in this world. A book that ought to have us focused on what it is that God is doing. What it is that God will do. Our hope is rooted solely on him. The cry of our hearts is we need him to come back. Because only he is worthy. Only he is glorious. That is, we, despite all the distractions, we look forward to the satisfaction that's in him. Despite all that feels harmful and we question ourselves in this life, we see that this life is blessed because of him. As we look forward to the day that we see him face to face for eternity to come. So we think about how do we wrap up our time in this series? How do we wrap up this book? I mean, there's nothing I could do that tops how the book itself ends, how all of the Bible ends. Revelation 22, starting in verse 20. It says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Father, we are so grateful for this book that you've given to us. That in the 17 weeks or so that we've been in it, to see what it is that you are doing so that we can see what you're doing now and to see how you are working to make all things new so that we can experience the joy of the new heavens and the new earth now, to see the certainty of our future so that we can see the security of our present. Father, we are grateful for this book that you've given to us. Let us leave here not having once gone through a series in the book of Revelation, but let us leave here shaped by what it is that you show us in this book, that we live lives of worship, praising you for all that you've done, all that you will do, that we live lives worthily in the way that you've called us to, not to earn your favor, but because we see what it is that you're doing. We see only you are worthy, so we respond in a worthy way in return. We live lives of waiting, a mindset that is not being satisfied with what's around us, but seeking the complete satisfaction that comes in you not seeking to feel blessed by what's around us, but seeking a life called blessed in you, not seeking to, to be content with, with how we might do things on our own, but seeing that you, God, are the one who's worthy. You, God, are the one we give, to our, our, we give our worship towards. You, God, are the one who deserves our entire life and being. So we live in light of what you've done, in light of what you will do, praising you evermore, excited that we will never run out of reasons or days to praise you. So it's to you and you alone we pray. Amen.